0: Welcome to the Talk of Sykesden podcast, where you catch all of our past shows. And listen, it's a special one that you're going to listen to now. This guy has an incredible story about bad choices, um, bad events in his life, um, but then he turned things around. And it's, it's about redemption. It's about taking responsibility, uh, not placing blame on others, but saying, I've got control of my life, and I, and I love his story. Uh, he's a, a really great young man um, who, again, made some bad choices, but has turned things around. His name is Ricky Johnson, Jr. He's from East Prairie. And uh, you're going to hear him now talk about um, his life, uh, what all has happened in his life, and how he's turned that around. So here it is, my interview with Ricky Johnson, Jr.
1: Hey, Ricky, welcome to the show. How you doing, sir? Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited. I heard you speak at Hope 180 when you were here a few weeks ago, and uh, such an in, incredible story. And it's kind of one of those things like, where where do we start? And so I, I think yeah. what I'd like to do is just kind of start, you know, in East Prairie where you where you grew up, and mm-hmm. you know what was what was life like for you, like from an early age, growing up in East Prairie. What was that like for you?
1: Um, you know, I, I really have no complaints. Um, I had a I had a good childhood. I never done I never really done without. Um, both my parents worked hard. Uh, they were always able to provide for us. Uh, but as you heard when I, during my presentation, you know, growing up, I was exposed to substance use um, at early age. Um, I can remember going to the bars with my dad. Um, I remember my family letting me taste alcohol at early age. Um, that impacted my life, and I aspired to be that. Um, I don't blame them uh, for the choices that I made, but it did impact my life. I think- um also as a small child um, I was violated sexually by a family member I was molested and that also had a a tremendous impact on my life as well um I was an athletic kid i really wasn't i really didn't consider myself mischievous as a young person but as as my and during my teenage years, I probably got a little bit more uh, reckless and um became more more mischievous at that time at that uh at that time frame um I lived most of my life in East Prairie uh, until I left for the Marine Corps at the age of 19. I, gra- I graduated high school. Um, I was a young father. Um, I had my son was born the summer before my senior year, and um, I needed some structure, some guidance, and discipline. Uh, so I joined the Marine Corps, and I spent uh, five years in the Marine Corps after high school. So that's kind of the, the early part of my of my life.
0: Yeah. Ura, by the way. Oh, thank you, Senprefa. Um, yeah, um, let's go back a little bit because I I, I kind of want to now take all those little parts and and talk about them because sure. I think the one thing yeah. that will jump out to people when they hear you say that your dad took you to bars at an early age, you know, yeah. I, I think most people say that's not normal behavior by a father. <laughs> yeah. So what what you know did have you did you ever ask why did he take you to the bars? Like, was there a reason why? Like he I he just
1: it, you know. Uh, you, you know, we, we a lot of times hear people talk about their product of their environment, and I used I used to didn't believe it, but looking back at my life, I was kind of I was kind of that. Um, it was part of the culture. You know, it was it wasn't really looked at as a big deal. Um, a lot of other people did it. I didn't think of it. I didn't think of it as a big deal either. Um, you know, even growing up, I remember I remember drinking with adults, being like fifteen, sixteen years old in high school, and I, like I said, I don't blame. Any adult for the, the choices that I made growing up, the, the adults, the people that were adults when I was a, when I was a younger person. You now I always remember the, the parents and even my parents that you know they they had the mindset was as long as they're at our house drinking, it's not a big deal, or they're they're, they're safer here because they're going to do it anyway. And there's some people that can, you know, that, that that may never affect them. But I was one of those people that I had a very addictive personality my whole life, Um and you know that just having that freedom to be able to do that. It it probably had a negative impact on my life, you know, going down the road.
0: I think there's a so lot was, of. It was, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: I, I was just saying that it was just it was just a part of the culture. Like it, it seemed like a lot of people did it, and it was never really looked at as something negative. So uh, yeah. that's what I meant by it.
0: No, I, I and I was just thinking. I think there's a lot of parents who you know feel like, well, what's the big deal? You know, we're at home. Yeah. You know, they're not sneaking drinks. At least I know they're drinking. You know, they they mm-hmm. reason out why it's okay yeah. to have their children drink at a young age. But one of the things that they don't know is how that's impacting the child. Because we all have some type of addictive tendency, right? Some people it's alcohol. Some it's drugs. Yeah. Some it's uh, cigarettes. Some it's uh, food or soda or whatever. We all have some type of addiction. Um that gets uh, spurred on at some point. And so a parent doesn't really know how that alcohol yeah. is going to affect their child. Yes, absolutely. So and, and, and I, and I, it's, it's a, I'm amazed how you keep saying, I don't blame the adults. However, you do recognize, though, that yeah. the culture you grew up in played a big part in how you lived your life out in your you know, late teens, early 20s
1: absolutely i I use a a phrase i always use is you know whatever we see and hear the most frequently that's going to become our frequency and you know when you see you know this type of environment you know at early early uh, an impressionable age um it's going to come out eventually and like i said i i chose i I made these choices because i wanted to do it um there's times that i enjoyed it um but it obviously you know uh, choices that uh, come with a lot of fun and they're very reckless and you know, things like that, a lot of times it's going to come with a consequence and a regret. So um, I made the choices. I take responsibility for, you know, what I did, and I'm never going to blame anybody for it.
0: Yeah. I th- and I think you bring up a great point. There's moments and times when you're just having a good time, right? And you, yeah. with no ill intent and don't want to get you're not, you know, leaving the house hoping to get in trouble, but you know, so yep. often trouble can find you. And yeah. uh in in those moments, those let's just call them weak moments in, in your life, uh, I assume in your mind you weren't thinking, you know, this is going to get me in a lot of trouble. You were just reacting yeah. to the situation.
1: Yeah, and you know, and and so a lot of times growing up, I was I was never really uh um, I never saw myself as a leader. Um I was very impressionable. I was the guy that would do, you know, most things for attention. I wanted to be the craziest, the loudest, the, the mean, the toughest whatever whatever I had to do to to get, to get that attention. I was a I was an insecure person, an insecure younger person, and I would overcompensate, you know, with arrogance and um or just being reckless and that's the way that uh, I got the attention at the time of my life, and you know, going through those things, I never, I never thought about the consequence and, you know, putting people in danger by drinking and driving. Even, at, even you know, in my teenage years, uh, those are things I look back on, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I never um, injured anyone uh, due to my choices at, at that time of my life.
0: You also mentioned there was a, a even darker moment in your life when you were um, sexually molested by a. Um, a relative, yes, sir. And yeah, I was. I was
1: uh, that, that happened. Um, it happened multiple times, and I can't. It was like I think I was at the age of like between six and nine, something like that. It was. Uh, yeah, I, I never would. I've never publicly gave the name, and I probably never would. Uh, but that had a very. It still impacts my life to this day. It's one of those things that I was. You know, when I was at that age, I knew it was wrong. It was kind of like that mindset: monkey see, monkey do, because other people had. Were involved you know it was the same kind of uh, environment that other people were participating in and I went along with it not really I knew, I knew it was wrong but I did anyway um, but you know as I got older I started seeing like this is this was not a not okay and um, like I said it still it still affects me to this day in several different ways
0: yeah I think especially at that age you're trying to figure out what's normal and and yeah. so when you're surrounded by those types of things a lot I got to think that probably as a kid you're like oh everybody does it
1: yeah, it was, it was a very, uh, I talked to my wife about it often. It was a very, um, awkward, strange, uh, situation. Um, and it's like, um, like I said, it, I knew it was wrong, but at the same time, it's like, um, other people were doing it. So I followed through. And, you know, as, like I said, as I got older and, you know, discovered who I was and looking back at how wrong that, that, uh, that, looking back at being victimized as a young person, it was just a very, I, I consider myself an alpha male as far as, you know i'm a man that is confident in who i am and i think you know I, I can take care of myself and take care of other people so the thought of you know being me being who i am today the thought of being victimized you not know, in a vulnerable state and as a young person um it's something that i still carry with me
0: yeah i mean it's i got to think that's got to be really tough um you know when you have that type of personality um yeah. to call yourself a victim because uh, yeah. you don't want to be, you You want to be self, you know, yeah. you, you, you want to be who you are and you don't want people to have pity on you and that sort of thing. And sure. so I can, I can, I cannot imagine what that was like. Did, did the person who's responsible for that, did they ever face any charges or?
1: Um, no, it's, it's, um it's been one of those things that. I think other people knew because other people were, you know, that it, it was, it was something that just wasn't talked about. Um, my, I, I didn't share it with my mother until I was probably late twenties and I just never gave it, I never would, I didn't want to get involved in the whole the legal system part of it and I just left it as it was. And, you know, you spoke about, you know, I said, I consider myself an alpha male and I don't mean that as I'm this dominating imposing person. It's just cause I'm a confident guy. You know, the reason I'm so open about it publicly because I know that there's other men, who view themselves exactly like I do, and for the, for them to see me up there, like saying, "Hey, man, you're not alone." I I went through the same thing. It gives them, you know, it gives them a sense of, you know, they they don't feel isolated and they feel supported just by me saying that, you know, you're not a weak individual or you're not you didn't do something wrong. To, you know, you you're not a, you know, just you're not you're not you're not alone in this in this fight.
0: Yeah, and I want to get more into what you're doing now in a few minutes, but w- sure. with you being with you saying that though. If if someone like you had spoken to you way back when and you um, were hearing the stories coming out of them that you're now telling other people, what kind of impact yep. would that have had on you? Um,
1: I want to say a huge impact, but at the same time, I was also that person that thought I knew it all. Um, it ain't going to happen to me, and that's one of the reasons I always you, you always hear me say, you know, I'm committed to being the man that I once needed, uh, somebody that I would listen to, somebody that I'd be inspired inspired by. So I would like to think that it would impact my uh, it would impact my life in a huge way. Uh, but the reality is, um, I, I look at it more like with the younger generation is that I'm, I'm planting seeds because I know that no matter what I say, they're still going to make a bad choice. But the key is is when they make that bad choice, they can look back on what I said to them that I, go- I went through it and this is the way I got out of it and that's the, that's one of the the main focuses that I have when I'm speaking to you know a younger generation that are that's still vulnerable and impressionable
0: yeah um so you 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 go in the marine corps and uh, yes. the marine corps teaches uh, a, you know values it teaches integrity valor mm-hmm. uh, all these things um, yep. how did that impact you i mean you, you you had had, for lack of better terms, a, a kind of a rough life leading up to that moment to go in the Marine Corps. Yeah. The, um, the there was a major life event that that put you in that position, or you felt like that you needed to do to go. What did the yes. Marine Corps do for you?
1: Well, it did a lot. For one, <laughs> yeah. You know, I come from you know, I come from small town Missouri. You no, know, East Prairie's thirty six hundred people. I was a mama's boy um, most of my life. My mother enabled me, or she coddled me. I mean, she was a great woman, don't get me wrong. But, you know, as I spoke of before, my mother and my biological father, they both struggled with alcoholism. And I think with my mom, she just went above and beyond with me uh, to make sure that I never experienced the things that she did. So she never really let me fall and learn a lesson. So the Marine Corps was a culture shock uh by far. You know, I was I was always an athletic, you know, younger person, so I understood Pushing myself and discipline, and coaches being hard on me. But the Marine Corps—it was a different level. It was a very extreme culture. I needed that discipline. I needed that routine and structure. And I had to grow up very quick. You know, mm-hmm. going into that, it done a lot for me. Um, it 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 um it exposed me and educated me to other other cultures, other people. Um, I learned a lot through that. Um, I learned more about you know accountability, responsibility. So, um, yeah, like I said, I spent five years, um, in the Marine Corps and it's, I'm never going to be the person you look at and think, you know, the, the Marine Corps didn't define me. It's a huge part of my life, but I've been fortunate after I discharged that I've been able to grow and I'm, I'm always going to be proud to say that I was in the Marine Corps, but it's not something that, you know, defines who I am, um, you know, every single day.
0: Yeah. You know uh it 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 is interesting uh the culture shock and I think there's been a few moments in my life that I've realized I lived a sheltered life living in southeast mm-hmm. Missouri and my parents weren't travelers and you know our, their idea of vacation was going to Six Flags you know what I mean like we didn't yeah. we didn't, we didn't, we didn't travel think. a lot yeah. but but going into the marine corps and all of a sudden I was meeting guys from all over the You know, uh, well, the Western (laughs) part of the country, you know, in in boot camp. Yeah. And especially the guys from like LA, you know, or the Northwest, man, that was really Mm -hmm. just kind of crazy, you know, the the different, you know, just personalities. And uh, it it definitely was one of those moments of, okay, I've, I've, there's things I have not experienced yet.
1: You know, and, and the cool part about it, what I always tell people is when you meet, other cultures and, and people—that's from you know all over. All we know about is what we see on the news. So when you meet somebody that's actually there, you're going to find out quick whether you know this what you know is in alignment with what actually happens, or if you're going to get an education. So that's something that I always appreciated about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really cool to to meet somebody um, who can give you the the, the real news, right? <laughs> sure. We, we get fed some some uh, news, but it's not it's not uh, always. The right news I don't know how to put that But without, you know uh, yeah. Making the media sound bad But they are bad I mean, it's just, you know Sure But when you meet yeah. somebody That's from somewhere And they give you the, the real story it's, it's, it's pretty amazing And um, yeah, Absolutely I, I've been I've had the opportunity To travel around the country and, and, and a few places Outside of the country And again You know Those moments Where you find yourself As, you know I, I've lived this sheltered life uh, The Marine Corps also I'm sure gave you That same opportunity uh, So mm-hmm. you were meeting people People not just in boot camp, but you know, from all over the world, um, yeah. and that I'm sure had an impact on you as well.
1: Sure. I, I, um, the thing, the thing about me was I was my unit was non-deployable, so I I, was, I never, I never went overseas, never saw combat. Um, I spent my whole enlistment um, in Beaufort, South Carolina, at the Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort. I was a Air Wing Marine. So oh wow! I, I always, I always tell people I pump gas. I was a refueler, <laughs> so I, I spent my whole enlistment there. I don't have any. You know, amazing stories, but that's just that's
0: where I was at. Wow. That's kind of unusual mm-hmm. that you just get placed in yeah, one spot, yeah. So mm-hmm. let's talk about post-Marine Corps. You So uh, you're in for sure. five years. You, you, you come sure. out, um, and and you've been perfect ever since, right? Or or were there some other Far challenges? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, so let's talk about that now. Started. And going into sure. adulthood and after Marine Corps, uh, you kind of went back into some old habits, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: So I discharged from the Marine Corps in around, I think it's 2003. I was like, I was 22 or 23. I can't remember exactly. I discharged with good intentions. Um, I was going to get a job, uh, be the father to my son. I didn't have. And when I say the father, I didn't have. Uh, my bio- my biological father wasn't a bad man, but he struggled with his own addiction, and he was in and out of my life. Uh, my stepdad, he's the father that I knew, and he's a good man. Um, I had good intentions to make my son a priority. And if I told you I did, I, I would be lying to you. Um, as soon as I got home, I went completely left. Um, substance use, criminal activity, um, putting other people above my son, um, that was my priority. And um, that came before everything. So I spent, you know, after, after the Marine Corps, I spent about 10 years in the out of active addiction, um, going through jobs. I couldn't keep a job. I was just a, I was a very destructive person, very selfish person. <laughs>
0: What was it so? You, when you came came home, was it just yeah. going back to the same people? Was it the same culture environment that you were trying to get out of before? Did you, did you mm-hmm. go right back into that? Is that what happened?
1: Um, I think it was a little bit of every. I can't I can't point out one specific reason or, or you know or whatever. While I was in the Marine Corps, I still partied a lot, and I had no intention to stop it when I went home because I was I was young. I didn't see anything wrong with it. But when I came back to my comfort zone of Southeast Missouri, um, methamphetamine was starting to get pretty big at that time. And I was just around it. Um, like I said, I was always that person that wanted to be accepted a part of everything. And if it was there, I would try it. And the more I tried it, the more I liked it. And eventually, you know, it became the focus of my life and, and an addiction. Um, it was a lot of it was the company that I was around, but I don't blame them, but, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was just part, it was just going back to that same, that same environment, that same, uh, same mind frame. And, um, just the transit, the transition out of the Marine Corps, you know, back into, there was no more discipline. You know, the Marine Corps holds us accountable. We have purpose. We have value and worth that we feel like we do. Then you go back to the civilian sector. All that's, all that's gone. You know, you don't have somebody to hold you accountable. The people holding you accountable is going to be law enforcement. And, um, if you're not, a, if you're, if you're not prepared for that mentally, um, it's easy to get uh, very complacent, and that's exactly what I did.
0: I think one of the things that I kick myself about so often is when I came out, I was in the mm-hmm. best shape of my life. I mean, I was in yeah. incredible shape and was running and doing all kinds of things, and when I got out, I went, you know, because it was just easier to go right back yeah. into the old habits again. Sure. And and now, uh, listen, I'm not, my habits were nothing compared to what you you know sure. experience but um was there ever a moment that you you know in, in your mind were thinking what am i doing i, I i've i've come out better but yeah. why am i doing this again
1: yeah all, all, all the time um and the reality was doing the wrong thing was easier and it could be fun but like i said before it's going to lead to regret and a consequence and even you know even physically yeah, you know, I was in, I was in, I'm, I'm probably, I'm 43 now and I'm probably overall in the best shape of my life. You know, overall, not, not like I was in the Marine Corps as far as, you know, running and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, even when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was slowly watching my body physically, like, change because I was, I wasn't doing, I was, I then lost all that discipline and accountability. That would bother me. I would get depressed by that. And obviously the more I would get depressed, the more I would, uh, numb myself, uh, with, with, uh, the substance use. And you and know, and another thing was I was always running from who I was. I was running from my pain, and um, I'd always. And that's that's one of the one of the other reasons that I was always, um, you know, numbing myself with substance use.
0: And I think that's one of the things that when people who don't have that type of addiction um, don't understand. You know, when yeah. when when you're in that when you're in that place, it's it's about you know, you're coming down and that depression hits or uh, whatever negative thing is happening in your life, and, and that addiction is your escape that you're, yeah. that you're using to try to feel better. And I think, you yeah. know, Ricky, I think you made, I, th- I think you agree with me that most people don't understand that aspect of it.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I'm never going to be the person that takes responsibility and goes, I did this, but, I mean, I, I 100% was guilty of all those things, Um, you know, for me uh the addiction it can it, it um it was an escape and like i said I, you know over time it just that took control of my life uh the criminal activity other people um you know females whatever it was that was that came before everything including my son um and he unfortunately saw me in the worst possible conditions um, a young b- boy a young man can see their father and he's, he was with me he witnessed me use narcotics, use meth. Um, he was with me on drug deals. He, I let him get high in front of me. He would see me so intoxicated that I'd be covered in, you know, my own urine. And I speak about that publicly. I'm not proud of it, uh, but that was just a consequence of my choices at that time in my life. And it, it 100% impacted who he was and what eventually happened with him.
0: When you talk to counselors, they'll tell you that one of the things that they're trying to do is to break a cycle, right? Because so many times things are a cycle. Uh, You have an alcoholic father who then can produce an alcoholic son or daughter, um, drug abuse, sexual abuse. um, And so the counselor is trying to break that cycle. At what point did you realize that you were basically continuing the cycle with your son?
1: my When I would take him to the bars with me, like, because I was raised, you know, in my hometown, my dad was kind of like a, you know, a small-town celebrity at the bars. Everybody knew who he was. So when I would go to the bars with my dad, there was all this, like, everybody knew knew him. He would get a lot of attention. And I found myself, you know, I, I looked forward to doing that with my own son because I didn't see anything wrong with it. And I would end up taking my son to the bars with me or to a house where we're all drinking at or whatever, you know. Whatever was going on that he shouldn't, he probably shouldn't have been exposed to. I knew in my mind it was wrong, but I convinced myself that it was okay. Um, the culture was, the, the way I, I like to frame it was, there's a comfortable misery, you know, and that's, and part of breaking the sock, part of that sock was we, we, we know in our hearts and minds when we're doing too much of something or not enough, especially when it's causing a negative impact in our life, but we lie to ourselves saying that it's not a big deal. And what I mean by that comfortable misery, is it can be the most toxic environment you can think of. On the outside looking in, it looks like insanity. But the longer you spend time in these environments, uh, you develop skills and tools to help you to survive, and you become good at it, and it's comfortable to you. So part of breaking that cycle is you have to get uncomfortable, and that's what, you know, obviously me losing my son was part of me looking at myself in the mirror and being like, you know what, I need to make some changes, some major changes. And that was part of, you know, getting uncomfortable. You know, I, I use the term all the time, the choices we make that are the most beneficial They're not going to be the most enjoyable and that's what discipline is so i had to you know i had to readjust you know find myself again and get back that discipline that i lost so long ago
0: yeah and i want to go ahead and talk about your son because um you just you just brought it up but your son sure uh did pass and Uh um it it was um of course you know the loss of a child is is never uh, obviously it's devastating no matter no matter what yes. what takes place but this yeah. was i gotta f- ask i i, I can't sure. uh, imagine i can't assume because i'm I've never experienced this but your your son committed suicide
1: yes right? he um my son took his life <clears throat> on december twelfth two thousand fifteen it was actually in Saxton. um he went to a city park and he hung himself and we'll we we'll talk more about that but the what the cool part about the the one eighty event Was while I was there, I was approached by uh, one of the gentlemen that actually found his body, um, the morning that the, the, I guess the the authorities were called. And I could tell when he approached me that he was, he was kind of apprehensive about, you know, talking to me. And, but I was, it was closure for me. I needed to hear it. I needed to talk to somebody that was there that saw him and, you know, for him to come up and talk to me and, you know, just say that give some support and let let me know that he was one of the people there. That meant, that meant a lot to me because I know it was very uncomfortable and difficult for him to do. But, yeah, my son took his life in 2015. Um, he'd been he'd been struggling for a while. You know, he got involved with substance use. Um, he was depressed. There was, many, there was many things that contributed to it. And like I said, I would never blame anyone more than I do myself. And I know when I use myself as an example of impacting his mental health, it probably makes people uncomfortable because it forces us to look at ourselves in the mirror to see, like, you know, if they're doing the same things I was, they're potentially impacting their kids' mental health as well. Mm. What I mean by that is, like I said before, you know, I was a selfish father, a selfish man who was putting everything else above my kid. Uh, the message I was sending to him was these people in this life mean more to me than spending time with you. And imagine, you know, being 13, 14, you know, up to he was 18 years old. Imagine, you know, being that message being sent to you. It gives you this feeling of if you're not worth anything, you don't matter. And, um, you know, yeah. It, uh, you know, we had we had a couple of good years together because I, I finally got my life together. I was sober. I was finally able to be the father to him that I had not been. Uh, but you know, there was uh, there, I think there was a lot of damage that, that had already been done.
0: What was it like for you? I mean, can, can you give us an idea um, when you got the phone call, or how did sure. you, how'd you um, find out?
1: Yeah. So um, my wife, she is from Piedmont and the night that i got the call uh we were we didn't have we didn't have good cell service and um when i got we were almost to walmart in piedmont so when i got to walmart my phone started her, well, her phone at the time sort of blowing up with missed calls messages i knew something was wrong but i didn't know what it was and i called my stepmother and when i called her she just she said ricky put julie on the phone and i knew right then something was bad and my, my wife pulls the car over in a Walmart parking lot and she said, Ricky, um, she said, Landon's dead. And she said, um, he took his life. or this, They took his life. They found him in, in the Saxton park hanging. At the time, um, obviously it was just a, it was like, it was like, uh, time stood still. I mean, I was obviously, I was devastated. I was, I was hurt. I was destroyed, but at the same time, I wasn't surprised. It was not that I was expecting it. Uh, but at the same time, it was like, you know, he'd been talking about it. Um, for a while, and you know, it was just uh, obviously out of left field. But you know, the way I t- the way that I choose to look at it is, his life killed me, but it inspired me. It inspired me to be a better person. Um, I was never mad at him. I was never mad at God. I was I'm not a, I'm not an individual that goes around saying God, why me? Why'd you do this to me? You know, we have choices, and my son made a bad choice. Uh, but without him doing that, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be who I am today. So it was kind of like a it was kind of like his unintentional gift to me um, through his, through his decision to take his life. You know, I've been able to impact thousands of others through that, through his decision, just to let them know, you know, it's not worth it. And it also has put, it's also, you know, blessed me with things to talk about and with, a, with their parents as well. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not a resentful, uh bitter individual, but it did, but it does still impact me. I just refuse to uh, project it on other people.
0: Well, I think, you know, w- through tragedy you're using that to to speak to people to to get them to realize some things hopefully sooner than than it took you to realize and i think one of the things that um that you mentioned which was you actually began to change to get better before he committed suicide this wasn't the thing that triggered you yeah. specifically did to, to change but what was it yep. that that really began your path to change and get out of what you were in
1: great question and it's one that i get that i get asked often uh, my wife um i was i knew what i wanted to do i, I knew i wanted I, I knew i wanted to get out of that life but i didn't i didn't know how and i needed some guidance and i was living in a rescue mission in Piper Bluff. I was homeless. I done lost everything multiple times, um, divorced twice. Everyone was done with me, rightfully so. I couldn't be trusted. While well, I was at this rescue mission with three changes of clothes in my name, and I remember one afternoon I was walking to a group meeting, uh, I was, it was a court ordered, uh, substance use meeting, a uh, group meeting, and I met my wife that was working just near the, near where I was at for the rescue mission. Uh, meeting her changed everything for me. Uh, she believed in me. She saw something in me that I, that I didn't see. And it motivated me to be the best possible person that I could be uh, because I knew that if I didn't get my life together, and that she would never give me an opportunity. And so I, that was just like the the motivation that I needed to get through the door, just to have somebody believe in me. Um, it was uncomfortable in the beginning, you know, to have somebody. She, she would enlighten me where other people used to side with me. Uh, she would tell me what I didn't want to hear but what I needed to hear, and it hurt <laughs> many times. <laughs> But I was, I was humble enough and I wanted to do better so bad that I was willing to sit through it and listen to her and, and apply it to my life. And it just, and my life benefited uh, tremendously just to have somebody that, saw this potential in me that I didn't see. Um, little did I know months down the road that my son would take his life, but I know that, I know that from meeting my wife, uh, my son got the best, you know, year, a couple years of me that he'd ever seen. So that was, that was a blessing as well.
0: You know, everyone, I think, has their own um, thought about what it means to love another individual, but yeah. uh, true love that we feel um, makes a really positive impact on our lives. Uh, it changes who we are. It it uh, Our personality is a little bit different because we're more joyful and happier and that yeah. sort of thing. And, and that's kind of what it sounds like with, with your wife is that you... And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like for the first time you really experienced love from another oh, individual.
1: A hundred percent, you know, and I share this with her. I share this with her often, but just, just in, in, in public also, you know, prior to meeting Julie, I was very promiscuous, reckless, no morals, values and principles. And she's the epitome of all those things. I mean, she's, you know, about discipline, accountability. Um, you know, I, she, my wife, she, she has two master's degrees and I've got three felonies and, <laughs> By her giving me an opportunity, she risked everything, you know, her to be with me. I had nothing, and I was my track record was known to be a thief, a liar, um, promiscuous, couldn't be trusted. I mean, but I was that was, I didn't want to be that person anymore. And she took a huge risk to be with me. We didn't see it as a risk necessarily because I we knew that God put us together for a reason, and that's the way we chose to look at it. It didn't mean in the beginning that I stood and had these tendencies or thoughts that I had had prior to meeting her, but I was, you know, I was I was just committed to being a different person. Um, To have somebody in your life that I share this often, to have somebody in your life that you know you can trust, and you know you you have the same love for one another that's putting the same effort in, it gives you confidence to take these risks in life that you normally you wouldn't take. You know, like with my when I resigned, I I worked at a nonprofit organization before I began uh, traveling full time to speak. And it, it had been some things that had been going on, and I knew it was time for me to resign. And I told my wife, I said, "I'm, I'm, I'm going to resign today, and I'm fixing to take off. I'm going to take a step forward to speak full time." You know, I said, "I need you. Know, I need to know that that you're going to, you're not going to, you're still going to be here." She's like, "I'm, I'm always going to support you. We're going to be okay. God's got us." And as soon as she said that, I submitted a resignation. and I took off, and I haven't looked back. But a lot of that was just because that she, knowing she's got my back and I have her back, it gives us the confidence to keep pushing forward.
0: I think you brought up such a great point. Um, I, I think there's a, a misnomer out there that, um, you know. Um, <laughs> When, when it comes to change, it's, it's a full-on change. You, you, you never look back. You never think about those things again, blah, blah, blah. It's just simply not true. You, you, yeah. we, we change, but uh, the tendency is still there. What, we do, what oh, yeah. we do is just try to commit ourselves not to go down that road again. But the tendency is still there.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I think a lot of people are just not honest. And for me... Like you'll hear people talk about, oh, they don't have no regret. I feel, You know, if I if this didn't happen, I wouldn't be this person. I have a ton of regret. What I mean by that is, you know, did I, did, did, did making these bad choices and overcoming them help me to become who I am today? Absolutely. But I don't feel good about hurting people and victimizing people. That's something I still think about often. So what I do, you know, people always ask me, how do you, how do you work through it? And I say, I reflect. And I don't. I, I reflect to keep from, from projecting it onto you. So every day I still keep the pain near me, and I keep those memories close to me to help me from getting complacent. I don't want to forget about who I used to be because that's when complacency was set in, and those old thoughts and old old behaviors will have a tendency to um, creep up on us, and then it's just, it's the cycle that's starting all over. So yeah, I still have bad thoughts. Um, you know, I'm a lot better than I used to be. I still have bad thoughts. I still You know, I have a tendency to say some things I probably shouldn't say um, that's never going to go away from me, but I'm just somebody that says it openly and and honestly so other people don't feel isolated, like they're just this bad person because they still have this thought. I mean, we're human. I have bad thoughts all the time.
0: One of the things that uh, you also talk about is um, your faith, and uh, I mean, you've mentioned it a few times, you know, during our talk, you know, today, how has faith played into your faith? for lack of better terms, recovery and and being a oh, better yeah. person.
1: A, a huge, it's been huge for me. Um, you know, in my presentation, I always I always share with people I'm not the most religious, and I don't mean that just, I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I just mean that you know, God is God is ultimately who I follow. There's a there's a there's a lot of men of uh, faith that I admire that I seek guidance from, but ultimately you know I follow God's God's lead. I'm a very spiritual individual, so for me in the rescue mission. When I prayed to God to get me out of the pit, that pit of hell, you know, I committed to making this change and I told God, I was like, you know, I'll always get back to the next man and I never doubt you when things don't go my way. And when I did that, it was like uh, the material walls collapsed, but the spiritual world awakened in me. Um, the, the transition didn't happen overnight. Um, it took a lot of faith and a lot of commitment. So for me, um, you know, a lot of, and when I speak about faith in God, a lot of people have the misperception Uh, believing in God and faith, they think, well, if I just believe everything's going to work out perfectly smooth. That's farthest from the truth. Um, for me, when I believe God's calling me to do something, um, I trust, I I trust my intuition and I create a plan and I execute it. I know from the beginning, the plan is not going to go perfectly smooth. It's going to go left or right. That's when you, that's when the growth occurs and that's when the strength occurs. You know, people, people think that strength is just this miracle you asked for. We gain the strength from going through the adversity. That's when you gain the confidence to, 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 to when something else happens, you're like, you know what? I've got through this. I can get through this. That's when the, that's where the strength comes from. So that's what God and faith has been for me. And plus, you know, being surrounded by other people who have faith and they can relate to you, just having that, having that, that, that accountability, but also that support. So it's been a, it's been a huge thing for me and my wife as well.
0: Man, what a, what a, what a testimony you just gave uh, Ricky, and I think um, you know uh, again the, those things don 't go away're they 're still there, yeah. and the the thing that we have now when you 're a believer is now you 've got some one who can help you be stronger and get away from those things, but I think the thing that if you if you studied if you if you know because you are a believer, mm-hmm. you know that the key to that is humbleness, and yeah. that not only applies to that relationship with God, but as you are really pointing out is that also applies to just living life and that humbleness has to be like at the top of that so that you can be honest with yourself and, okay with people being honest with you uh like your wife uh is with you so that you yes. know hey this is i'm going down this road or i'm saying things i shouldn't say or i'm you know angry or whatever um humbleness has to play a big part in that
1: I've, you know and i i made a post about this yesterday speaking to my wife um i got to she'll, she'll tell me how it is respectfully but <laughs> you know I made, I made a video i have and, one of those
0: two by the way just to let you know I have one of those. I, I have one of those too. A wife that tells me exactly how it is. So I get
1: yeah. it. <laughs> well, I made a video that was a little bit emotionally charged. My, my post was, and I had good intentions with it, but it was obviously uh, when you look back, when I look back at it, I could see how I was emotional, and I used the term "weaker people," and it wasn't necessarily referring to a specific person, but I could have, I could have used um, some some words that were not as offensive. Maybe some, maybe something like "unwell" or something like that. But my wife pulled me aside and she's like, listen, I mean, she was, it kind of offended her. And she and she explained to me, you know, how that other people could perceive that. She's like, I know your heart. I know you didn't, you didn't have ten, intentions to hurt people, but who you are right now, it matters what you say. And when she explained it to me, she's like, how, you know, how would you feel somebody when you were struggling or you were unwell and somebody called you a weak, a weak person? And I said, it, it would hurt me. But I did, when she did, when she broke that down for me, I, I was—I felt embarrassed. I was ashamed. I got mad at myself, mad at the situation. But after I took a step back and reflected on what had happened, I'm like, man, she's 100% right. And that's just what—that comes with humility and, and, you know, practice and, you know, seeing the benefit. You know, letting her lead me at times, I see the benefit of how it's how it's impacted my life, but also it's impacted others. So, yeah, I 100% agree with being humble enough to take some correction.
0: One of the things that uh, as you're going through those bad times in your life, making some bad decisions, doing things that you knew that you shouldn't do, um, there were a group of people that you got to know extremely well, and that was law enforcement, yeah. uh, in the area. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, you, you had an interesting, um, thing happen while you were in town, because you were in town for like what, a couple, almost a couple of weeks. Uh, it was, yeah, it was over a week. Yeah. Over a week. And one mm-hmm. of the things that you did that was, I thought, really kind of neat and special is you, got to speak to those guys who know you so well because of Mm -hmm. of your activity talk about that what was that like for you to walk into this room full of police officers and have that chat
1: it was one of the um it was a full circle moment moment for me probably one of the greatest experiences of my life um and so the people listening get understand can get understanding of you know what you're, you're meaning um I'm, I am a three-time convicted felon uh, for meth and DWIs. I did some time in prison, uh, five years on felony probation. I paid in the state of Missouri uh, close to $20,000 in fines and court costs and currently attorney fees. Um, in the past 26 years that I could legally drive, I've not been able to drive for 18 of those years. Uh, my last DWI lost my license for 10 years, currently 11. So one of the main reasons that I was in uh, southeast Missouri, Sykeson, that week was on July 24th um that was my final court appearance where I was I'm now granted permission to pursue getting my license back my license reinstatement probably one of the um you know of all the things I've accomplished you know it all means a lot to me but that's something that's way up there just because of how long it's taken the sacrifice the commitment you know all that I've gone through you know to get to that point to you know, to regain my independence again but the cool part about speaking uh, with law enforcement in Saxony is um Scott County in Sykeson was where I got my first um, drug charge and it was also my third where I got my third d w i so to be able to speak to law enforcement officers that knew me from that time in my life and now to be able to stand in front of them and actually thank them for what they did for me um, and actually got to I got to talk to uh one of the the drug enforcement officers that was involved in my first drug um, my drug arrest take his hand get a picture with him tell him I appreciate him and, and I actually mean it. Um, that's a, it was a, it was a major full circle moment for me. And when I tell, when I say that I appreciate law enforcement, I truly mean that because I, I collaborate with them now. When I say collaborate, I mean just share with them my experience and they, and they share with me theirs. So by doing that, by doing that, it's allowed me to, to gain access into, to prisons and jails as well. So it was a great moment. <laughs>
0: I I, I just can't imagine uh, what that was like for you to walk in there because that, again, kind of a a humbleness takes place um, when you – are talking to them about you know what it was like for you, and um, trying to explain to them I, you know obviously police officers are held at a higher accountability. Um, sure. they have a tremendous job to do, which is to serve and protect the people uh, in their area, but it is very easy for someone who is a police officer to get to a place where everyone's suspicious they're they're listening for yeah. all the trigger words there you know what I mean like they yeah. it, it's easy to get to that point because they're always dealing with a certain element of people yeah how in your talks with them to explain where you came from and why you know you were the way that you were and what happened what do you mm-hmm. think that will do for them and and their understanding of dealing with people that were that were or are what you used to be?
1: Uh, for one, I think it lets them know that their, jo- their job's not in vain. Um, now, I, I, was, I was proof of that. Obviously, I couldn't say that for a long time because I hated myself. I had no respect for myself or other people. So for me, um, this, this is the way I, I choose to live my life. The greatest form of leadership is the manner in which we choose to lead ourselves. Um, our words are who we aspire to be, and our conduct proves who we truly are. So, you know, it'd be different if I came in there, been, I've been sober for one month and I'm talking about I'm doing all these great things in the community when really I haven't. They're probably not going to have a very, they're probably going to have a suspect view of me. But the fact that I've been doing this for several, you know, I've been, I've been in, I've been in recovery for close to 10 years and I've been, you know, and this, the work that I'm doing now, I've been doing this for about five years and I've spoken many jails and prisons and with law enforcement. So for them to see that and understand who who I who I really am, I think it o I think it opens up their mind I think it opens up their mind a little bit more about, you know, there's peop people do get it together, they do recover. Um and you know, the reality is law enforcement has a job where, you know, they're always they're always gonna be critiqued as doing too much or not enough. And that has to be a terrible feeling. So I, I wanted I wanted them to know personally for me that I truly did appreciate, you know, what they did and and I appreciate what they do today. You know, obviously, in every line, every every line of every line of work, I don't care what it is or culture or demographic, there's always going to be a few bad apples. That's just the way that it is. Um, my interactions with law enforcement weren't weren't always the best, but most of the time it was due to my own choices. So um, I have no resentment toward them to this day. Um, I'm friends with the, friends with a lot of law enforcement. Uh, Officer Brent Mullen to be one. So um, I've been. I'm just grateful that um, I'm, I'm not on the other side anymore to have to worry about them.
0: Yeah, I know uh, Mullins has been a big supporter of yours. Um, I mean, yes. you know, leading up to you coming here, I mean, there was he was making social media posts all the time about you. You know, hey guys, yeah. don't forget he's coming. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Well, what 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 is that like for you? You know, knowing where you have been and where you are now to have that kind of support from Mullins and other officers who are like trying to help you get your story yeah. out there.
1: Makes me emotional. Um, it's surreal to think about where I was, you know, nine, ten years ago, that I was still on felony probation, still in that cycle of talk, you know, just insanity. And, you know, to, to think about where I am today and to gain to the fact that they respect me as a, you know, another man or respect what I do. It's taken a lot of commitment. It didn't happen overnight. Like I said, um, you can't. We can't. We can't live a certain way for ten years and expect to make this change. And then two months later, everybody's pat, patting us on the back and telling us how great we are, and they trust us and they welcome us in. It's taken a lot of commitment and a lot of connecting and a lot of networking and just staying, you know, constantly grinding to uh, to gain their respect. And that's something that I I, I truly value it. I appreciate it.
0: And I think at the end of the day, I mean, I think most men would say that's all they really want, is that they just want respect.
1: Yeah,
0: 100%. So, uh, you know, honestly, Ricky, I could keep you here for hours, I think. Sure. I mean, there's so much <laughs> to talk about. But obviously, you, yeah. you, you know, we, we can't uh, talk that long. But um, right now, you're you're out, and, you know, you spent time here, but you're, you're traveling, um yeah, around trying to get this, you know, your message out there. Uh, mm-hmm. w- tell us what is life like for Ricky today.
1: Um, I stay, <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm alone a lot just because of the way that my wife and my life is set up. I'm, what I always tell people is success te- teaches isolation. What I mean by that is when you live a, a very disciplined, structured life, where you're pursuing goals and serving other people, and you're about you're about mission accomplishment. You don't have time to play victim. Um, you don't have time to really entertain a lot of different, you know, I've, I've got a lot of friends and a lot of acquaintances, but I enjoy my, I, I, I prefer my time by my alone because I, I can, I, I know what I'm getting out of myself every day and I trust myself. And I don't mean that disrespectful toward all my friends because I do get lonely at times, but I stay very busy, you know, networking and connecting. I travel a lot. Um, I have a nonprofit organization called the Simple Relentless Project. Um, and what that what the org- what the organization is about is it just helps it helps us to gain funding to help me fund my travel you know, throughout the country so I can continue with our mission. Um, I'm traveling to Charlotte, North Carolina, to speak at a treatment facility August 31st, and then after that, I will be flying to Alaska September 11th to the 15th to speak on Iosun Air Force Base in a, I think it's Fairbanks, Alaska, and I'll be there for a week, and I'm speaking there and it, I think an army base. I'm doing an interview with the mayor of Fairbanks. And it's gonna be a very uh it's gonna be a once in a lifetime thing that I'm I'm truly really looking forward to. But yeah, we have a lot of big things coming up that I'm I'm anticipating and I'm just I'm very blessed to be where I'm at today. Wow. And I couldn't do I could not do it without the support of everybody else, that's for sure.
0: Wow, that's that's incredible. I mean you're you're going you're a traveling man, you're gonna be all over the place. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Hey, if anybody wants to know more, Ricky, about what you're doing and this organization that you formed, how can they how can they find you?
1: Sure. Um, I'm on social media, on Facebook, as Ricky Johnson Jr. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm also, I also have a, a Facebook page for the Simple Relentless Project. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, under redemption of Ricky Johnson, Ricky Johnson Jr. And I'm, I'm sorry, on Instagram, and I'm also on LinkedIn as well. So I'm I'm a very, you know, I'm a very transparent, uh, open person about my life. I post pretty much everything that goes on. So, uh, you're welcome to contact me or just follow along with what we're doing. And I appreciate everybody's support.
0: I got to tell you, Ricky, I I feel like you should have been a, a race car driver because you have a race car driver name, Ricky Johnson Jr. <laughs> right?
1: Well, my middle name, my middle name is Dale too, so it's Ricky <laughs>
0: <Dale> Johnson. <Jr. laughs> oh my gosh, Ricky, you've missed yeah. your calling. We got to get you in a car, man.
1: I know. We're well, here in a few months. I'll be. I'll be back in a car. So that's a good thing.
0: How, is that? Ex- I mean, I, I, you, you're able to pursue it. You're able to get it again. Like, uh, how's that making you feel that you're going to be able to drive again?
1: Oh, it's it's a little bit. Um, and I, I don't want to say overwhelming. I'm anticipating it. a little bit nervous because I haven't driven in so long. The feeling of gaining. You know, I can't really just if you've not experienced not being able to drive for 11 years and having to depend on everybody else. You know the, you know, it's been a bad feeling. So to, to regain my independence after that long, it's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: You know, when you turn 16, you get your license. That's like the big deal. You got your independence, right? Yeah. And you're out and doing stuff. Yeah. That, and that's a freedom that we really yeah. take for granted that 100%. when it's not there, man, life is totally different.
1: It's, you, you learn a lot about yourself and other people, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with me, and uh, it was great to hear you and great to talk to you today. And uh, we'll be praying for you and watching you, and hopefully we'll see you back in southeast Missouri sometime.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you for having me on.
0: All right, Ricky. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: My thanks again to Ricky Johnson, Jr., for being on the show. And i, I got to tell you, Um, What I like about Ricky and guests like him who have gone through some things in their life, well, I'm just going to speak directly about Ricky, is that there were, hey, I don't want to talk about this or I don't want to talk about that. He was an open book. He said, I will talk about anything that's occurred. He said, it's all a part of my message to people and uh, I think it was just great um, to have someone be so open and honest about all the things that's happened in their life. And he is amazing, uh, in my opinion, because he's like, even though this person did this or this person did that, and that kind of led to some of these bad decisions, he's like, I take full responsibility. He's like, I'm the one that makes the decisions in my life. I'm the one that charged the direction, and so he's like, you know, uh, I have to be a better person. And I thought, man, what a great attitude uh, to have, and that's his message. Listen, you are in control, so take control. So, Ricky Johnson, Jr., I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, listen, I always appreciate when you listen to the podcast or listen to the show uh, on the radio always looking for suggestions so you can email me at talksykeston at gmail.com that's talksykeston at gmail.com you can also follow us on facebook just look for the talk of sykeston thanks for joining me on the talk of sykeston podcast i'm glenn Cantrell.